So, that video, um, talking about daylight savings time. So if you're here by accident in a hole, or if you're here by accident on time and you didn't realize that it was daylight savings time, I'm doing you a huge favor for school tomorrow so you can set your alarm clocks ahead um, an hour. But that was today. Who knew? Um, some of you knew. Did the night feel a little bit shorter? Did you feel like you didn't get as much sleep as you usually do? Yeah. What, so what's really cool about daylight savings time, uh, most people don't think it's a, a nice thing to happen, but what does it mean? It means that what's around the corner? Spring. I think spring starts, I think, officially in like in two weeks. I think it's when it starts officially. When we think of spring, what do we think of? We think of flowers. We think of trees. We think of new life as things were dead in winter and things come to life in spring. We see leaves on the trees grow. We see flowers grow up and bloom. We see all this life happening. All this life that was once dead in winter is now alive in spring. Today, we have another crucial question that we're going to address. And it's this question of what does it mean to be born again? This concept of new life. What does it mean to be born again? Now, to get a little context to our passage that we're going to talk about that addresses this question, I want you to think for a moment about this, this question that seems kind of off topic, but I'm going to relate it in. Have you ever met a celebrity? Someone who is famous. Could be a singer. Could be an athlete. Anybody who's considered a celebrity in society. I have been fortunate to meet a couple of athletes and get some hats and uh, shirts signed. But have you ever met a celebrity? If you could, question, I'll take three answers. If you could meet any celebrity, who would it be? Three, three, three answers. Raise your hand. Yes. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Chris Pratt? I, he's cool. I would love to meet Chris Pratt. Julia? Who? Tom Holland? Who is that? Oh, it's Superman. Sorry. Whoops. Oh, Spider-Man, sorry. Okay, that was our three. <laughs> I'm kind of caught up in my own self because I tend to think I'm Superman. Okay, so in the New Testament era, Jesus is considered a celebrity. He's someone who's popular. He heals people on the spot. He is a great teacher and public speaker, and he also has the power to forgive sins. People are flocking to see Jesus. But Jesus isn't a really popular celebrity that is welcomed by all people. He's kind of controversial. Kind of like President Trump. Yeah. Kind of controversial at times. Very controversial at times. He's someone that people are divided over. Jesus was a celebrity in his time that people were divided over. And there's this man, this ruler, that wants to meet Jesus, this celebrity, but since he's so controversial, he has to come at night. To come at night and ask him and talk with him. This man's name is Nicodemus. So if you have your Bible with you or a Bible app, please meet me in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Meet me at verse 1. John 3, 1 says, There's a man from the Pharisees named 
Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, in these opening verses, they, they can seem to be kind of um, odd and out of place. We see Nicodemus in verse 1 and 2 giving Jesus compliments. He says, we know that you're from God. Rabbi, he says, Rabbi, you're a teacher. I respect you as a teacher. We know you're from God because no one else can do these things. He's complimenting Jesus. Notice Jesus doesn't even say thank you for the compliments. He gets right at the core issue that Nicodemus is dealing with and wrestling with, and it's this idea of being born again. It's like this. If you ever met LeBron James, who, who knows who LeBron James is? Arguably one of the best basketball players in today's era. It'd be like if you met him and you started giving him compliments, it'd be like, LeBron, you're such a good basketball player. Like, I just really love watching you play. Like, you just give all the basketball fans so much excitement, and LeBron James is like, yep, and if you want to become an expert in basketball, you need to work at it 10,000 hours. It'd be like that, that response. It's, it seems kind of out of place. It's not even acknowledging, oh, thank you. Yes, it's, no, do this if you want to attain this. Or do this if you want to understand what it takes to get here. On one hand, you think it'd be rude to answer a person who's giving you a compliment this way. But on the other hand, this person just gave you what you needed to succeed in this area. Think about it. Jesus is like, hey, only those who are born again can actually say that they've seen the kingdom of God. Because Nicodemus is being like, hey, we know that you're from God. And Jesus is like, well, hold up. If you're born again, you can say that. But if you're not, you actually haven't really seen the kingdom of God. You, you don't believe it in your heart. You don't understand what you're actually saying to me unless you be born again. Jesus is like, Nicodemus, you are so close, but until you're born in the Spirit, you'll never truly understand who I am and who God is. And this brings us to our crucial question, what does it mean to be born again? We'll get to that in a minute. But a follow-up question is, why is this even a crucial question? And why does this even matter to us, to students, to middle school, high school students, to us adult leaders? Why does this question, should this question even matter, and why does it? I would suggest to you, verse 3 says this, Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Which is something we should all want to do. We must be born again if we want to see the kingdom of God. But what does this phrase, being born again, mean? For those who've never heard this phrase of being born again, we can relate with Nicodemus here. And uh, John 3, 4, Nicodemus responds to Jesus' comment, How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asks him, Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Nicodemus is thinking physical rebirth. He doesn't understand reborn. What does that mean? It'd be like, he's just like, hey, do I, a person who is of age, 
have to re-enter my mom's body and be born again in order to be born again. What does this mean? And again, if we're like Nicodemus, this can be very confusing. I remember when I was going through Sunday school, when I was your age, and had the hardest time understanding this concept of being born again. And also, Jesus' answer back to Nicodemus can be almost just as confusing. So, let's dive a little deeper. Let's focus a little bit more. And let's see what Jesus is really talking about when he says, be born again. R.C. Sproul, the person who wrote the books that we're going through, says this. The new birth is necessary because that which is born of flesh is flesh. You can't get spirit out of flesh. If you want to grow an oak tree, you've got to plant an acorn, not a strawberry. The flesh yields only flesh, but that what is born of the spirit is spirit. So Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about spiritual rebirth, not the mere repetition of a biological process. This is something far more mysterious. So, what does it mean to be born again? It means that we must first have a spiritual rebirth that only can be done by the Holy Spirit. Why is spiritual rebirth necessary? Why must we be born again spiritually? If you have your Bibles with you and you want to quick flip to Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 gives us this answer of why spiritual rebirth is necessary. Contrary to what people think, we're not physically born into Christianity. You're not a Christian because your parents are or because you come to church or because you come to hype. The only way you become a Christian is if you're born again spiritually. The harsh but true reality is that you are born a sinner, dead in sin. This is your spiritual state until you have a relationship with Jesus and are reborn by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in disobedience. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. So, what we can see here is everyone is born a sinner. What does that mean? It means everyone is born into sin, which means everyone is born spiritually dead. We are dead spiritually before we follow Jesus. We follow evil ways of the world, and ultimately we follow what our flesh wants, what our body wants, and ultimately what Satan wants for us, and that's our destruction. Everyone, including me, every leader here, including the person next to you, and including you, were born a sinner, born dead spiritually. But praise God, we don't have to be stuck in this spiritual state. Ephesians 4, 5 gives us great hope. 2, 4 through 5. Some of the the greatest words ever written in Scripture are these next two words in verses 4. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. We see here, but God in His grace and mercy, which He understood, which 
He gives us undeserved merit to us, makes us alive in Christ even when we were dead in sin. So we're dead, we're born a sinner, we're in sin, we have no hope, but God gives us grace. And when He allows us to enter a relationship with Him through Jesus, that process is called being born again. Born again spiritually. We need it because we're dead. We need life spiritually. Now, what happens in order for something to become alive? It must be birth. So God rebirths us in Christ. What does being reborn look like? After accepting Christ as our Savior, what does this process of being rebirthed actually look like? Can we find this in Scripture? I would say we have to go back to John 3. I would say John 3 actually continues this story um, and gives us the meaning and what it looks like to be born again. John 3.14 says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. So that's 14. It will continue, but I want to stop here for just a moment. May have eternal life. That is the opposite of being dead. Why must we be born again? Because we are spiritually dead. We don't want to stay there. We want to have life, spiritual life, this relationship with God, so we must be born again And the only way we can do this is through Christ. Let's continue reading. Verse 15 or 16. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world in this way, that He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save Him, to save it through Him. Anyone who believes... In him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and the only Son of God. Ultimately, being born again shows everyone else that we are believers and what Christ has done in His death and resurrection, and forgiving us for our sins, being reborn again, is accepting that, and having it transform our life and living that out. And what does this do? What does this do for us? Why should it matter besides spiritual life? What does this matter? Because when we accept Jesus, we have what's called the Holy Spirit in us. We have this relationship with God. God just doesn't leave us hanging after. Be like, Jesus, will you come save me? I forgive. Please forgive me for my sins. Amen. God just doesn't leave you hanging when you do that. He gives you the Holy Spirit, which lives in you. And that is like a down payment on a house. When you put a down payment, then you pay off. And then in the end, you own the house. God gives the Spirit to you as a down payment so that in the end, He can own you in heaven for all eternity. That He's This is like something that He gives you as like uh, assurance that He's going to bring you to heaven when, you're, when you die physically on this earth. And that's the blessing of being reborn again 
is because we get to have the Holy Spirit living in us. Now, as a result of the Holy Spirit living in us, we see that the Spirit convicts us of our sin. What, what is conviction? Does anybody know what conviction is? Anybody? What is conviction? No one has ever, has anyone ever heard of the word conviction? Yes, Duke, what's conviction? When you, you feel like you're being guilty or when you're guilty of something? Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Anybody else got a definition for conviction? Because that's part of it. No? Oh, man, good thing I'm teaching on a conviction. So, as a result of the Spirit living inside of us, the Spirit convicts us of our sin. Conviction is God telling you that what you did was against what He stands for. When we feel conviction... It's something that God says, like, hey, what you did hurt me. What you did offended me. What you did was against my nature. What you did is sin. And sin is anything against God. And our response to conviction from the Holy Spirit is what we call repentance. Repentance really means this changing of a mindset. Oh, that just got a little bit louder. Repentance means changing of our mindset. We do something that is sinful against God. He convicts us in His Holy Spirit who's living inside of us and tells us that we did something against Him. And then our mindset should change from not wanting to do this sinful thing against God to wanting to glorify God and worship God and wanting to be in a communion and a right relationship with Him. And that's this process called repentance. This process of acknowledging that, hey, we wronged God and we wronged others. God, forgive me. Please help change my mindset so I don't want to do that anymore because I want to serve you. Repentance is key because it shows you that you actually love God. Somewhere else in the Bible, in two phrases, what is it? Love God, love others. Repentance is key because it shows you that you love God. Why? Because it says that I am rejecting something that I know is wrong, something that's against God's character, something that offends God, something that God rejects. I chose this over worshiping God, over serving God, over following God. And I'm failing to love God in my moment that I choose my sin over Him. Does this make sense? And so this is why repentance is key as a fruit of being reborn because it shows that you're sorrowful and that you don't really want to live in a sinful state anymore, that you really want to live in a state that glorifies God because you love God. You want to live for God. You're not spiritually dead anymore. You're not living for the sinful flesh. You're not living for Satan. You're not spiritually dead. You have eternal life inside of you. You've been born again. This means that our actions should glorify and reflect what God wants. But we fail, right? Because we're humans. And that's where repentance is key. It shows that, God, I still want to glorify you. God, I messed up. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I don't want to do this anymore. God, I know I'm going to sin. God, please forgive me. God, you're always going to forgive me. Thank you so much for forgiving me. <laughs> And I'm changing my mindset of changing my habits and changing, going after my sinful flesh 
and striving to go after godliness. This is why repentance is key. This is why repentance is a fruit of being born again. Some questions to consider. Have you been reborn spiritually? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and said, yep, I'm done being dead. Yep, Jesus, I see what you did for me on the cross. You died for me. You loved me. Yes, I want to live for you and I want to have this relationship. I want to be alive in you. Have you been born again? And have you started that relationship with Christ? If you do consider yourself a reborn Christian, is repentance something that you do? Is repentance something that you do? Because as you grow in your relationship with God, you should grow in your awareness of God in your life. At the same time, that also means you should grow in your awareness of your sinfulness and your need to repent. If you could go to the next slide, there's a graph. If you call yourself a Christian and you're reborn again, we see this graph. The longer I live a Christian walk of life and the closer I get to God, the closer that I am in communion with God, I see God's holiness. The greater I understand who God is, I see His holiness. I see how good He is. I see how perfect He is. At the same time, as I get closer to God and I see more of His grace in my life, I should also see the awareness of my sin. Because I'm here to tell you, everyone is a sinner. I know you hear that a lot, but you know what the rude, or not the rude, the, the, the harsh reality is? Is that we're not just all sinful, like, temporarily. You know, we just don't sin on occasion. We just don't need grace, you know. Six days out of the week, and on Sundays we're doing pretty good because we know that we're going to church, and yeah, I, don't, I usually don't sin on Sundays. That's not it. The harsh reality for us students, middle school and high school students, leaders, you yourselves can never live a perfect moment. Think about that. You yourselves can never live a perfect moment. Not just perfect in where I am abstaining from directly sinning against God and do things that God prohibits in His Word. But also, I'm not able to live a perfect moment and not being able to obey and do what God requires me in loving others and loving Him. If I was able to love God perfectly and others perfectly, I don't know if I'd have an office. I'd be street evangelism 24-7. Because that's what God commands of me, to go and preach the gospel. God requires me to give everything that I have. God requires me to love others the extra mile and sell everything that I have. And guess what? I, I haven't sold everything yet. You know? There's a lot of times I waste my time. I don't spend every waking moment doing the things that God commands me to do. This means that I fail. Even when I'm not blatantly disobeying God, I'm also not obeying Him and what He calls me to do 100% of the time. And so students, I hope you understand this, that you can never live a perfect moment, that you are always in need of God's grace. So, again, 
if you consider yourself a reborn Christian, is repentance something you do daily? Are you aware of where you fail? Are you aware of where you don't match up to the perfect and holiness of God? And do you ask God to give you a new heart? To repent? Do you ask God to forgive you for that sin? Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. God, we surrender all. God, help us just to give our lives to you, first and foremost, if we have not done that. God, I pray for students here that don't have this relationship with you. God, that I pray that they would ask you to come into their lives, to give them a new life spiritually in you. God, I pray that we would surrender all of our wants, our desires, God, our fleshly um, wants and God, our, our tendencies to sin. God, help us to surrender those and, and just throw them aside. God, help us just to repent for that and help us just to glorify and live for you. God, I pray if there's a student here that's just struggling with a particular sin and is just coming back to you, coming back to you in a pattern, in a pattern asking for repentance. God, I pray that you'd give them that strength to just say no to that sin and say yes to you. God, change these hearts. Change our hearts. God, to just want to glorify you and want to know you more. God, I thank you and I praise you for nights like this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.